Please be seated. Jesus mentions a baptism with which he is baptized in in our gospel reading today. And when I think of baptism, the kind of baptism he's talking about, I don't always think of the little font with a little bit of water pouring over a small forehead, but I think of jumping into Barton Springs. I think of that moment where you stand on the edge of that ledge and you look into that cold water and you know it's going to be cold. And you look around, you see there's people that are sort of dipping their toes in and then their ankle and then they're slowly lowering themselves into the cold water. And other people, I would say the wiser of the group, are just jumping in. That's the only way to get in. Full immersion, a full immersive experience where you jump in and experience the shock of that cold water. Then that just wonderful feeling that lasts the whole day through. Unless you do it on January 1st, and then you have to get out and run to your car as fast as possible because it's freezing out. But this immersive experience sounds a lot like what Jesus describes as his own baptism that is about to happen in his life. Mark takes us to this scene in the gospel lesson right before Jesus goes to Jerusalem and is crucified. He is marching towards Jerusalem, telling everyone along the way what he is doing and why he is there, what his purpose is, and no one completely understands what he's saying to them. But as he is going there, a leadership question arises on what kind of leadership will happen in the kingdom or what will be the disciples' places in this kingdom that Jesus is establishing. They want to, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they're brothers, so they're probably arguing amongst themselves as only brothers can argue. They're going a little bit further now and they're lobbying Jesus for a place on the right hand and a place on the left, the positions of power and prestige. This is what they have imagined their lives to be. All the the suffering and loss of the last three years are going to finally be paid back with these special seats of honor in this kingdom. And Jesus confronts them. He says, you don't know what you're asking. They were asking for something very special, but Jesus turns it on them and says, you don't really know what you're asking for. As we contemplate our stewardship of our money, of our time, of our talents. The church is asking things of us, and we are asking things of the church. We often think of when we give money to some place that this sort of gives that we need to get something back from that. We need to get something back from this experience. And yet, when Jesus' disciples come to him with this question that they want from him, Jesus says that it's really about what will you be doing with me in this new kingdom? And the the baptism that he is going to experience and the cup that he is going to drink is not one of great benefit to them. This is not going to make their lives wonderful. In fact, it is a cup and a baptism that is full of suffering. The cup that I drink You will drink, he says. Whatever is going to happen to these disciples, whatever happens to Jesus, also happens to us. And we certainly don't know what we're asking. 
There are many days when I come to church and I'm not sure what I'm asking. What am I here for? What am I looking for? Jesus always reminds us that the things we have come to find are maybe not always the things that God has in store for us. There is this cup and there is this baptism. I can't help but think there are parallels to our Eucharistic feast, the chalice that we hold, the cup of wine that harks back to the night in which he was betrayed. He took that cup, said the blessing. This is the new covenant in my blood. It's a cup of blessing that we drink from. But the cup that he describes here seems to be a different cup. The cup that is described over and over again in the prophets in the Old Testament. The cup that is full of the wrath of God. It's a very, a very stark image that the prophets bring up many times. And Jeremiah writes, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. This cup appears many times in the ancient, to the ancient people of God in prophetic words that this will be the judgment of God poured out against the injustices against the leaders on this earth, the leaders who have committed injustices against God's people and against each other. It is this great foaming cup of wine, of judgment, a cup of cursing. Perhaps this is the cup that Jesus is talking about in the garden when he says, let this cup pass from me. The author of Hebrews describes this torturous scene in the garden of Gethsemane just hours before he is taken into trial and falsely accused and then taken and scourged and taken to the cross. This cup is described, as this, this experience in Gethsemane is described as being one of agony. One where he offered up prayers and supplications in the days of his flesh with loud cries and tears. This is where Jesus experiences this moment right before the big event, right before the baptism with which he will be baptized with. It's a dreadful moment in his life, one of great fear. The anticipation of the crucifixion, the anticipation of the experience that is only described in those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, he says, not my will, but yours be done. This is the cup he is talking about that we will drink from too. His disciples will drink from it as well. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means then and now. And then he talks about this baptism. It's like this full immersion into this experience, the experience of the crucifixion. Jesus even though Jesus moves towards his own death very deliberately and purposefully, his death is not a suicide. You cannot crucify yourself. You cannot baptize yourself. And so he uses this word baptism to describe this whole experience of handing himself over to this experience of great suffering. If the cup symbolizes that internal suffering, the internalization of the suffering of the injustice of the world, the baptism illustration is one where he is fully immersed in that experience. 
It's all around him. It's everywhere. And so Jesus does this for us. He drinks this cup and experiences this baptism of suffering, our suffering even. It is a suffering that we experience and get close to and learn about when we read stories of lynching in this country that happened in this state, hundreds of lynchings in this state. The suffering can be overwhelming to even think about. For every child that is abused by a trusted figure who wonders, what did I do to deserve this? For every journalist that's assassinated for writing words, for every victim of injustice and oppression and abuse, Jesus experienced this fully and immersively on the cross. The quintessential book about suffering is the book of Job. It's in our scripture. It's the oldest book in the Bible about one man's experience with profound suffering and loss. His children are massacred before him all at once. He loses everything he ever had. And there in the despair, unbeknownst to him, there's a a game being played in heaven between Satan and God. Will Job break? Will he curse God and die? And Job complains, saying, I didn't do anything. There's no one to intercede on my behalf between me and God. There's no umpire between us, he says in the NRSV. No one to come between us. And there is Job in his despair, covered with sores, losing more and more. He's mocked. His friends come and sit with him, and they gently probe to see Did you do something to deserve this? Did you do something? Were you not as pious or serious as we thought you were? And finally, in this last reading, in the first reading today, God appears to him in a whirlwind, a swirling blast of air. There is no face to this God. There is simply a tornado of terror. And the result of this speech that God gives him, Job covers his hand with his mouth. There is nothing he can say silent before this God in the whirlwind. All we can say in these times of suffering is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is what it feels like to suffer, that God has forsaken us in the torture chambers of the earth, God is not there. In the explosions of war, God is not there. In the repeated abuse of a child, God is not there. And that is what Jesus experiences in this baptism of suffering in the cup that he drinks for you and for me. Jesus shows us that even in those moments where we think God is not here, that God is here that God is experiencing this suffering that we are experiencing here on this planet. This participation in suffering, this full participation in the suffering of the world is an example to us that we need to be there in suffering, in the suffering of others, in the suffering in the world around us. This is why Christians have always stepped into places of great suffering, to be present, to bear witness to what is happening on this earth. 
This is why Christians have been against the death penalty. This is why Christians stood up during the Native American wars in this land and others. This is why Christians have cared for the homeless. Why Christians from this church go every Tuesday to the shower ministry at the Trinity Center and bless our homeless neighbors there. This is why this week at the Washington National Cathedral, the body of Matthew Shepard, a member of our church who was brutally murdered because he was gay, will be interred there in that sacred place in witness to the power of love in the face of abysmal human evil. When we are plunged into this baptism of suffering with Jesus, we find that this is where the good news starts, the gospel, that the power of death is broken on the cross, that he becomes the ultimate scapegoat for the sins of the whole world, breaking the power of evil, breaking the chain of events that leads to despair. And so when we think of following Jesus today, here at St. Mark's, and committing to following Jesus with our time, with our treasure, with our talents and gifts. This is what Jesus is calling us to do, that God knows what we are going through, that God can hear our cry as he heard Jesus cry in the garden, that we drink of this cup and are baptized with this baptism so that it can change into the experience of a cup of blessing for the forgiveness of sins that we will take at this altar. It'll change into a baptism of renewed life that we can look at the world with different eyes. So as we think about plunging in with Jesus into this suffering, know that you are plunging into the grace and mercy of God. Jesus invites you into this just as he invited his disciples 2,000 years ago. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus mentions a baptism with which he is baptized in in our gospel reading today. And when I think of baptism the kind of baptism he's talking about. I don't always think of the little font with a little bit of water pouring over a small forehead, but I think of jumping into Barton Springs. I think of that moment where you stand on the edge of that ledge and you look into that cold water and you know it's going to be cold. And you look around, you see there's people that are sort of dipping their toes in and then their ankle, and then they're slowly lowering themselves into the cold water. And other people, the I would say the wiser of the group, are just jumping in. That's the only way to get in. Full immersion, a full immersive experience where you jump in and experience the shock of that cold water. Then that just wonderful feeling that lasts the whole day through. Unless you do it on January 1st, and then you have to get out and run to your car as fast as possible because it's freezing out. But this immersive experience sounds a lot like what Jesus describes as his own baptism that is about to happen in his life. Mark takes us to this scene in the gospel lesson right before Jesus goes to Jerusalem and is crucified. He is marching towards Jerusalem, telling everyone along the way what he is doing and why he is there, what his purpose is. And 
No one completely understands what he's saying to them. But as he is going there, a leadership question arises on what kind of leadership will happen in the kingdom or what will be the disciples' places in this kingdom that Jesus is establishing. They want to, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they're brothers, so they're probably arguing amongst themselves as only brothers can argue. They're going a little bit further now and they're lobbying Jesus for a place on the right hand and a place on the left, the positions of power and prestige. This is what they have imagined their lives to be. All the, the suffering and loss of the last three years are going to finally be paid back with these special seats of honor in this kingdom. And Jesus confronts them. He says, you don't know what you're asking. They were asking for something very special, but Jesus turns it on them and says, you don't really know what you're asking for. As we contemplate our stewardship of our money, of our time, of our talents, the church is asking things of us, and we are asking things of the church. We often think of when we give money to some place that this sort of gives that we need to get something back from that. We need to get something back from this experience. And yet, when Jesus' disciples come to him with this question that they want from him, Jesus says that it's really about what will you be doing with me in this new kingdom? And the, the baptism that he is going to experience and the cup that he is going to drink is not one of great benefit to them. It is not going to make their lives wonderful. In fact, it is a cup and a baptism that is full of suffering. The cup that I drink, you will drink, he says. Whatever is going to happen to these disciples, whatever happens to Jesus, also happens to us. And we certainly don't know what we're asking. There are many days when I come to church and I'm not sure what I'm asking. What am I here for? What am I looking for? Jesus always reminds us that the things we have come to find are maybe not always the things that God has in store for us. There is this cup and there is this baptism. I can't help but think there are parallels to our Eucharistic feast, the chalice that we hold, the cup of wine that harks back to the night in which he was betrayed. He took that cup said the blessing, this is the new covenant in my blood. It's a cup of blessing that we drink from. But the cup that he describes here seems to be a different cup. The cup that is described over and over again in the prophets in the Old Testament. The cup that is full of the wrath of God. It's a very, a very stark image that the prophets bring up many times. And Jeremiah writes, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. This cup appears many times in the ancient, to the ancient people of God in prophetic words that this will be the judgment of God poured out against the injustices against the leaders on this earth the leaders who have committed injustices against God's people and against each other. It is this great foaming cup of wine, of judgment, a cup of cursing. 
Perhaps this is the cup that Jesus is talking about in the garden when he says, let this cup pass from me. The author of Hebrews describes this torturous scene in the Garden of Gethsemane just hours before he is taken into trial and falsely accused and then taken and scourged and taken to the cross. This cup is described, as this, this experience in Gethsemane is described as being one of agony, one where he offered up prayers and supplications in the days of his flesh with loud cries and tears. This is where Jesus experiences this moment right before the big event, right before the baptism with which he will be baptized with. It's a dreadful moment in his life, one of great fear. The anticipation of the crucifixion, the anticipation of the experience that is only described in those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, he says, not my will, but yours be done. This is the cup he is talking about that we will drink from too. His disciples will drink from it as well. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means then and now. And then he talks about this baptism. It's like this full immersion into this experience, the experience of the crucifixion. Jesus even though Jesus moves towards his own death very deliberately and purposefully, his death is not a suicide. You cannot crucify yourself. You cannot baptize yourself. And so he uses this word baptism to describe this whole experience of handing himself over to this experience of great suffering. If the cup symbolizes that internal suffering, the internalization of the suffering of the injustice of the world, the baptism illustration is one where he is fully immersed in that experience. It's all around him. It's everywhere. And so Jesus does this for us. He drinks this cup and experiences this baptism of suffering, our suffering even. It is the suffering that we experience and get close to and learn about when we read stories of lynching in this country that happened in this state, hundreds of lynchings in this state. The suffering can be overwhelming to even think about. For every child that is abused by a trusted figure who wonders, what did I do to deserve this? For every journalist that's assassinated for writing words, for every victim of injustice and oppression and abuse, Jesus experienced this fully and immersively on the cross. The quintessential book about suffering is the book of Job. It's in our scripture. It's the oldest book in the Bible about one man's experience with profound suffering and loss. His children are massacred before him all at once. He loses everything he ever had. And there in the despair... Unbeknownst to him, there's a a game being played in heaven between Satan and God. Will Job break? Will he curse God and die? And Job complains, saying, I didn't do anything. There's no one to intercede on my behalf between me and God. There's no umpire between us, he says in the NRSV. 
no one to come between us. And there is Job in his despair, covered with sores, losing more and more. He's mocked. His friends come and sit with him, and they gently probe to see, did you do something to deserve this? Did you do something? Were you not as pious or serious as we thought you were? And finally, in this last reading, in the first reading today, God appears to him in a whirlwind, a swirling blast of air. There is no face to this God. There is simply a tornado of terror. And the result of this speech that God gives him, Job covers his hand with his mouth. There is nothing he can say silent before this God in the whirlwind. All we can say in this, these times of suffering is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is what it feels like to suffer, that God has forsaken us in the torture chambers of the earth. God is not there. In the explosions of war, God is not there. In the repeated abuse of a child, God is not there. And that is what Jesus experiences in this baptism of suffering in the cup that he drinks for you and for me. Jesus shows us that even in those moments where we think God is not here, that God is here, that God is experiencing this suffering that we are experiencing here on this planet this participation in suffering, this full participation in the suffering of the world is an example to us that we need to be there in suffering, in the suffering of others, in the suffering in the world around us. This is why Christians have always stepped into places of great suffering, to be present, to bear witness to what is happening on this earth. This is why Christians have been against the death penalty this is why Christians stood up during the Native American wars in this land and others. This is why Christians have cared for the homeless. Why Christians from this church go every Tuesday to the shower ministry at the Trinity Center and bless our homeless neighbors there. This is why this week at the Washington National Cathedral, the body of Matthew Shepard, a member of our church who was brutally murdered because he was gay will be interred there in that sacred place in witness to the power of love in the face of abysmal human evil. When we are plunged into this baptism of suffering with Jesus, we find that this is where the good news starts, the gospel, that the power of death is broken on the cross that he becomes the ultimate scapegoat for the sins of the whole world, breaking the power of evil, breaking the chain of events that leads to despair. And so when we think of following Jesus today here at St. Mark's and committing to following Jesus with our time, with our treasure, with our talents and gifts, this is what Jesus is calling us to do that God knows what we are going through, that God can hear our cry as he heard Jesus cry in the garden, that we drink 
of this cup and are baptized with this baptism so that it can change into the experience of a cup of blessing for the forgiveness of sins that we will take at this altar. It'll change into a baptism of renewed life that we can look at the world with different eyes. So as we think about plunging in with Jesus into this suffering, know that you are plunging into the grace and mercy of God. Jesus invites you into this just as he invited his disciples 2,000 years ago. Amen.